reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning at verse 27, uh, to be found on page 1012 in your pew Bibles. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, well, thank you, Dorothy, for reading to us uh, so wonderfully from uh, Mark's Gospel from chapter 8. And you may find it helpful to turn to that passage. And Dorothy kindly read to us uh, from verse 27, which sets the context for the uh, teaching that Jesus gives concerning the cost of discipleship. Uh, if If you look at Mark's Gospel, it's a very short gospel, uh, I think that's why I like it so much. And, and chapter 8 is literally bang in the middle because uh, here in, uh, in the uh, Middle Eastern mind, what is in the middle of a book is often a very key, a very critical uh, uh, element of the entire story. And so it is in Mark's Gospel. You have this apex point uh, in Caesarea Philippi. That's away in the north part of Israel. And Jesus asks his disciples, after spending time with them for, for, for some period, who do you think I am? Having spent intense quality time discipling these 12 individuals, he now asks them if they have any idea concerning his identity. And Peter does. Good old Peter. And he says, you're not just a good teacher, I can tell that. Uh, You're not just uh, an excellent rabbi. You're more, much more than a prophet. You, Jesus, are the Christ. 
Amazing. What an insight. And Jesus says, well done, Peter. You are not the weakest link. Today you're the winner. But what kind of Messiah does Peter think Jesus is? Uh, Peter had begun to work out who Jesus was, but he really had no idea what the nature of Jesus' messiahship was or why he had come. And so that's why in Mark 8, 31, we read, he then began to teach them what kind of messiah he was. And telling them that uh, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. He must be killed and after three days rise again. And we're told he spoke plainly about this. So at this point in his teaching, Jesus wasn't talking in parables. He wasn't, he wasn't making up riddles. He wasn't using euphemisms. He wasn't beating around the bush. He was absolutely clear of what he was saying. So clear, in fact, verse 32, that Peter didn't like what he was hearing, and he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. And that's why we've read this in the context, because remember, Peter has just confessed at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus is the Christ. And as soon as that happens, now he's giving off to Jesus. Wow. As we know, Peter has his high points and he regresses. We see that a number of times in the scriptures. And Jesus, in turn, then had to rebuke Peter, verse 33, and say, Get behind me, Satan. Satan's the deceiver. Peter, you've been deceived. You don't understand what you're saying. You're leading people astray by what you say. Because the kind of Messiah you are thinking about could never bring salvation. The kind of Messiah you're looking for could never bring redemption to anyone. The sort of Christ you're imagining could never call people to a radical life of sacrificial discipleship. And that's what I'm asking of you. And what Jesus, of course, was talking about here was in fulfillment of everything that already had taken place in the Old Testament scriptures. If you have uh, the Bibles there, you might like to look at page 740. You'll go back to the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. This is just one of the Hebrew scriptures that Peter, I think, Jesus was feeling really ought to have known. Page 740, uh, Isaiah chapter, what are we, 52 is it? 53? And then in verse 13 we read, See my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Let, let me say that again. 
See my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Now that's nice, isn't it? Or, or is it? An exalted Christ? A raised up Christ? Except Isaiah, written hundreds of years before Jesus, is actually talking about the cross. That's how Jesus would be exalted. That's how he would be lifted up. And on being raised and lifted up, verse 14, there are many who would be appalled at him. His appearance would be so disfigured beyond that of any man. His form would be marred beyond any human likeness. And that way, that way only, many nations will be sprinkled. In other words, would be washed, would be made clean. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. Well, that's the kind of messiahship Peter didn't want to know. This is part of the package Peter and the other disciples hadn't signed up to. And if Isaiah 52, which we've just been reading, isn't clear enough what kind of messiah is being pointed forward to, All we have to do is turn to the next chapter, to chapter 53, to see how Messiah would be despised and rejected, stricken and smitten, crushed and pierced, oppressed and afflicted, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He would bear the sin of many. He would make intercession for the transgressors. A couple of weeks ago, a young man asked me a question I've never knowingly been asked before what are the benefits of joining Bloomfield Presbyterian Church (laughs) it it kind of threw me and I had to ask the staff how they would reply to that but in other words if I were to join your church what, what can I expect to get out of it And I suppose I could have rightly said if I'd only thought of it, well, if you came this morning, you'd get a free lunch. Um, But actually, in the Christian church, there's not even such a thing as a free lunch. Yes, there are benefits. There are many, many benefits belonging to the kingdom and being part of a local congregation. You know that. I know that. But actually, by partnering with Jesus, by becoming part of his body, the local church, the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments tell us you are signing up to obligation rather than privilege. You are aligning yourself with a suffering servant rather than a privileged potentate. It made me wonder, and you can be honest with me and tell me if this is the case, have I, in my teaching here, been sufficiently clear? Plain, as Mark 8, 32 puts it, in spelling out the cost of discipleship. And if I haven't, I ask your forgiveness. Because following Jesus is more than giving up cigarettes. Becoming a disciple 
is more than adding a few bits onto your existing already busy life or putting sprinkles on top of your exciting delicious ice cream. The Christ we are called to follow is the Messiah who himself took up a cross and carried it to the place where he was executed. And he's calling us to anticipate that as well. Now, some of you know a little bit about what that looks like. It's hard at school. It's hard being a believer. How few school pupils are able to stand and having done all to stand because being a Christian at school is hard. Many at work just find it easier to say nothing or to, to let the local news or whatever is in the media and is talked about just to wash over them and not to take a stand because if they do take a stand, it's difficult. This is the cost. Let's not be surprised about it. Jesus has told us to anticipate that life following him will be hard. Now, why does Jesus tell us to anticipate that what he has done, we are to expect as well? Why is that important? Well, I'll tell you why. It's important that Jesus is a suffering Messiah because it's a matter of integrity, of honesty, and of truth. But it is also hugely important from a pastoral point of view as well. Let me try to explain. Let's say you become a Christian. Let's say, as a Christian, you experience rejection. Let's say, as a believer, you experience pain or suffering or illness. Let's say as a follower of Jesus, you are required to explain unjust or inexplicable suffering in the lives of other people. Now, how are you going to manage that? You won't be able to unless you are united to a savior who himself has experienced rejection and suffering, and pain, and unjust and inexplicable suffering. We'll have nothing to say. No answers to the really difficult issues of life. We have nowhere to go unless we have a Savior who has gone there first. And so what starts off for us as a hard message, and Mark chapter 8 on reading is a hard message. In fact, it actually turns out to me the most liberating and magnificent good news you will ever find anywhere. You will never hear it anywhere else. This is glorious gospel. Christ has, as it says in the book of Hebrews, been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And for that reason, he is able to sympathize with our weakness and help us in our time of need. 
So what kind of Christ are you following tonight? What kind of Messiah do I confess? If anybody wants to come after me, says Jesus, it is necessary that you must deny yourself at school, at work, at home, and take up your cross and follow me. Because whoever wants to save his own life will eventually lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel, says Jesus, will save it. What good is it after all, he says. If you were to win the lotto, if you were to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul, worthless. How awful. But if we follow the way of the suffering servant who himself has walked that path first, the future is as bright as his resurrection. And we will walk with him. The grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.